Hello, and welcome to our special Veterans Day Cambridge Stronger podcast series. I'm your host, Amy Weber, CEO of Cambridge and host of Cambridge Stronger, a podcast where culture counts and values matter most. At Cambridge, we are truly grateful for all of the individuals who have and currently do faithfully serve this country. It has often been said that freedom isn't free, and we certainly do not take our veterans for granted here. We've teamed up with our Diversity, Equality, and Inclusion Committee and the Advisory Council to recognize Veterans Day and feature just a few of our financial professionals who are also veterans as they share their journey. Joining me now is Armand Kroom, the founder of Kroom Financial. Armand served in the U.S. Navy, where he was a Supply Corps officer on the USS Nimitz and attained the rank of lieutenant. Thank you for joining me, Armand, and thank you for your service. Thank you for having me again. Absolutely. Love having you again. So this podcast series is about inspiring stories that are representative of Cambridge Stronger, and you are one. Tell us your story. How did you get started, and how did you get where you are today? Oh, that's a long story. It all started back at Tulane University when I was pre-med. Pre-med. <laughs> yes. I, I, to make a long story short, I was trying to figure out my classes. I always love having mentors. I went to this apartment with my, my best friend's girlfriend. She was pre-med. And so I'm asking them, you know, which professors I should avoid. And his girlfriend looks up at me and says, are you sure you want to do this? And so then she she calls out another girl that lives with her. They're all pre-med in this apartment. And she's sitting there helping me. And she looks up at me and goes, are you sure you want to do this? And then by like the fifth girl, she comes out. And she, she then says, are you sure you want to do this? And I finally like stopped and looked at all their faces. And they look tired. <laughs> they look tired. Like they've been studying a lot. And... The, the last one was like, you know, maybe you should go to the business school. They write big checks at the <laughs> business school. <laughs> and I went, you know what? Maybe I should go to the business. I'm going to go to the business school. And I, I ran out of there and switched my major to finance. <laughs> and I was teasing her just the other day because she just hired me to be her financial advisor. And her daughter was in the car. And, and I was like, well, just do what your mother says. She's the one who picked my career. So, I mean, you might as well. I love it. It worked out for me. <laughs> so that's how I got in front of you today. It all started with someone convincing me to drop pre-med and go finance. And then, you know, the rest is kind of history. Well, what happened after that? Where'd you go? What'd you do with that business degree? So I got in a finance degree. So I went to Tulane on a full ride with the Navy ROTC program. And then I ended up going nuclear engineering within the Navy. Yeah, I know. It's, yeah. So. Nuclear engineer, which was like way harder than college. Or finance. Or finance. I like, imagine. And so I'm sitting in the room with a whole bunch of science people. And you you have not lived, Amy, until you roll until a teacher walks into a classroom and says, Okay, who here who has heat transfer before? And people are like raising their hands and you're thinking to yourself, What's heat I better transfer? leave? <laughs> What's heat transfer? What is that? Is that a class? Is that a class? They passed what I knew in college within like a week. And I was studying for 40 hours a week. I mean, they put me on mandatory hours, which I didn't need because I was studying from like, I get, a, get there at 5 a.m. and study literally until like seven o'clock 
six o'clock at night. Then I ended up medically disqualifying and ended up going into Supply Corps and ended up on the USS Nimitz right after President Bush landed and said, mission accomplished. And then we were out there doing figure eights for like eight months. And I was head of the two ship stores. I was head of the laundry facility. I was head of the vending machine, the barbershop. Yeah, and I managed like 70 people. And then the cool thing about being in charge of all these people is to do the laundry, people would send you people. And they don't send you their best or their brightest. They send you people that they don't want, right? Like, so I'm managing these guys who are like getting in trouble all the time to manage the, you know, the laundry and do the laundry facility. And so, you know, here I am 24 years old in charge of a multi-million dollar operation. You kind of have to grow up quick. So one of the things I learned about myself that I did not know is I hate being yelled at and I don't like to yell and I don't like faking like I'm mad. Like if I'm mad, I'm mad. But in the military, especially during those times, maybe it's a nice and military, you you had to yell to like get people to do what you wanted to do. And it's just not really me. It's not my personality or anything on those lines. So I, I lasted four years, four months and 11 days in the Navy and promptly got out. And then I was like, I don't want to work for anyone. I don't want people telling me what to do. I certainly don't want to yell at people. I don't want to have, like be in an office where I hate Judy and Judy's getting on my nerves and like Judy don't like me and we got to work together. And oh, by the way, Judy is like in charge of my promotion. Yeah, no, I didn't want any of that. So I said, okay, I want to try my hand and start my own business. I had a degree in finance. Financial planning seemed like the best route to go and that's when I joined a company that mostly dealt with military members. That's why most of my clients are military. And I started that in 2004. And the great thing, which most like other financial advisors, they tell you it's your own business. Oh, you can do what you want. You're a 1099, da, 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 But we need you to sell whole life insurance. <laughs> and, and we need you to sell this one because this one fits everybody. <laughs> and... You know, I started off that way. And then, you know, that that is an interesting experience myself as far as like human nature goes, because I notice when people feel trapped in a situation, they tend to complain and whine way more. So we'd go to these conferences and then they would come out and say, oh, we're going to do this now. And I mean, some advisors would love it. And some would be like, I hate this place. Da, 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 da. You know, and they all had this choice to leave, but they're all scared to leave. So they feel trapped. And so they're like yelling and screaming. And it's kind of interesting how I got to Cambridge. I actually spoke at one of their conventions. So I, I made it to like number 15 out of, I know I'm a small, small fish in, in, in Cambridge world, but there I was a big fish. And so I was like number 15 advisor, you know, walking the stage at night and they had me up to speak. And so I spoke about how I ran my business. This is the model, how we're going to do things. I do fee planning. This is what I'm doing. Yes, I do some of the life assurance, but I'm more about a, a client focused service. That was what the whole speech was about. I literally, <laughs> and by the way, the guy who comes on the stage after me was one of my mentors. I walk off the stage 
And then the vice president gets on stage and was like, yeah, so uh, we did this. Ignore thing. everything he said. Base almost, almost like, I was like, what, what the hell happened? So I get off the stage. My wife high fives me. We're like, yeah, we did a survey. And our clients say that the fees, not selling life insurance, but the fees are salesy. So we're no longer going to allow you to charge a fee to oh, no. military clients. And I'm like, I just, wow. People start clapping. I'm like this. And then I text the guy who used to be with Cambridge, we need to talk, like right there. I'm sitting next to the CEO, we need to talk. Cause I'm not a complainer. I, I, you know, if I felt like my voice is heard, I'd come to you and say, hey, you know, I, you know, I think this is an issue, da 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 da. But once I feel, figure out that I'm not gonna be heard, I'm not even gonna complain to you, I'm just gonna be out. <laughs> and that's exactly what ended up happening. So then I ended up coming to Cambridge in 2012 and the rest is history as far as that goes. So that's the rest why. is history. You're an okay fish here. You know, <laughs> you're a pretty successful guy or you wouldn't be on my show. Oh, okay. So. All right. <laughs> Maybe I'm a middle fish. You're humble. That's what you are. <laughs> Absolutely. You mentioned a couple of things that I continue to hear can be very intimidating for people, which is going out on your own. So even the very first thought of, I don't like to be yelled at and I don't like to yell at people. Therefore, I'm going to start my own business. Had to have a little bit of hesitancy and, and some things you had to think about to take that step. And then the next big thing really was moving from one type of firm that perhaps had more influence over what you sold and did than a pure independent firm like ours. And that probably also, as much as you knew that's what you wanted to do, um, gave you some things to think about. How did you... How'd you build the confidence to do that? Again, so, you know, we'll get into this a little bit later, but I love human nature and I love reading about humans. And, and so I, sometimes I would refer to people of all races, all colors as humans, because we're really just humans. Really? Uh, <laughs> I'm glad to and, hear that. And humans behave a certain way. So sometimes when you see something going on, you know, don't think that you wouldn't behave that way humans react a certain way so i want to say like you know it's kind of like the comment oh well why don't they just move you know or why don't they just switch jobs well you know some some people haven't been exposed to that some people need a mentor some people need a guide and which is interesting to me because literally our job is to guide people <laughs> because people are afraid of investing and afraid of this and afraid of making the wrong decision and so they just want someone to grab their hand and kind of pull them along and go, okay, all right, this is what you want to do here. This is what you want to do there versus trying to figure it out on their own. So for me to get up enough bravery, the guy who I texted. So when I was at the other company, I, I'm a watcher too. So people would leave and then I would watch what happened to their career after they left. I'd call them, hey, what's going on? Da, 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 da. And I just figured out who was being successful and who wasn't. If you went to New York Life or Prudential or something along those lines, you failed. They ended up washing out. They ended up going, you know, it, they didn't last very long. If you went independent, you stayed on top. And I, I don't know how much time we have, but I have a very interesting story. So like one of the guys who left, literally moved from the 12th floor down to the seventh floor. So I would see him all the time. 
His name was Ken Davey. Now, I don't know how much he knows he influenced me, but he influenced me a lot. Now, Ken was a former Marine, and he was an odd duck. He never really said anything to me. Never. He, I mean, he would speak to me a little bit, but he was just weird. He was a, he was, he was, he was just, he was just a different dude, but he was a good dude. So I, every once in a while, I would get on the elevator and he'd be on the elevator with me and we'd ride up and we'd stare forward. He wouldn't say anything to me. His floor would come first. He would lean over because he was like six foot three and I'm, you know, I'm five foot seven and three eighths. Five foot seven and three eighths. Okay, I got the three eighths. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Make sure the listeners know I'm tall. <laughs> but he was taller and he would lean over to me or lean down to me and would say, it really is better on the other side. Look forward and walk out. All he would say to me, it really is better on the other side. This happened for like four years. He would just, we'd get on the elevator and he would say, he wouldn't say hi, good morning. We wouldn't chat, nothing. It really is better on the other side. And I knew he went to an independent firm and he was being successful. And so I knew when I left, I needed to go independent. And again, I wanted a guide. I didn't just want to like come. So I knew some people who were here. I reached out to them and they guided me over here. And that's how I got here. And one of the stipulations I had to come here was the guy I was teaming up with. I wasn't sure again, I'm not sure if I'm going to get along with whoever I, 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 I work with and so, or it's not, it's going to go sour. And so the stipulation was, you know, if, if, if I decide I don't want to work with you, can I just work with Cambridge directly? The answer was yes. And do they have a virtual office assistant staff here? And yes, then this is where I want to be. Those two things, believe it or not, were the most important things to me. That's great. No, I, I think they're, there's many things to consider when you're going out on your own and you're over and over again, what I'm hearing you say is that you learn from watching others, you know, whether that gentleman in the elevator realized how impactful to your earlier point, he was patience to say the same thing to you. Every time he saw you in the elevator for four years, that's just patience. He was planting a message and if it worked for you, great. Right. And you, and you listened. Well, thank you for your service. I would be remiss in not doing that for sure. Talk more about how serving in the Navy helps you build skills and strategies other than the ones we've talked about that help you work with the planning, that help you work with the clients. Because you said most, a lot of your clients are military or ex-military. Right. So obviously I know their benefits like the back of their hand. I know their language. We speak the same language. I know their trials and tribulations. I know what a deployment, it's, it's kind of like, it's hard to understand what people go through without going through it. So like, I know what a deployment is like. I know what it's like to be away from eight months. Like I could describe it to you, but until you actually leave your family for eight months and then come back to, and like get to know, like I got to know Dubai and Bahrain and Singapore. And like, those were like my port visits and where I hung out. And those kind of became like my new homes. To come back to California, it's kind of surreal and unknown. Like, like, and then all of a sudden Paris Hilton is famous. And like, who is this? Who is the world this? changes. <laughs> who is this woman and why is she famous? What does she do? It might be a little bit better, but in my time, like you were, you were very disconnected from everyone, except for maybe a little bit of an email. And so 
as far as working with my military clients, like I know, you know, what deployment is like, we leave them alone. We try to take care of them while they're on deployment because we know that it's hard and support their family. And it's good as a financial advisor because maybe, you know, the person who's going on deployment is more the money person and the other person is not. So then like I get to kind of stay back and be supportive of that spouse and help them out while they're gone. So I can be a little support system for that. And so serving in the military does help that. And then obviously uh, serving in the military helps you grow up really fast. You know, the pre- you know, I had my first panic attack in the uh, military. So like the pressure uh, of that was, is, is great. And so when you go into financial planning or when you go into any other job, like it's just not as, it's just not as difficult at all. Like not to, again, it's, it's the, the way you look at things and what you've experienced not to say that someone else is not going through a hard time. It's just that I've gone through somewhat of a harder time. And so to me, it's like, yeah, yeah, you know, I can do this. Flying down the uh, coast, off the coast of Africa, we did something that day and people were nervous, crying, scared. And I was, you know, so, you know, writing a financial plan. Yeah, yeah, we can do that. That's a phenomenal perspective because at a certain point in my career, somebody was trying to encourage me to become an advisor. I was like, I just didn't, I don't have the iron stomach to take someone's financial future in my hands. But now listening to you, I realize how ridiculous that sounds because those of you that serve take all of our lives in your hands. So I get it. It makes sense. So, yeah, but like not to discount your feelings, you know, it's like, I, I, you know, again, I, it's human nature and what you've experienced. And that's the great thing about joining the military. And I didn't really like seek out the military, you know, and going back on having a great guide, you know, I tried to explain this to people. I didn't join the military because I sought it out or anything. My dad did 22 years in the air force and he knew that there was this thing, you know, officers and that they go to college. And I still remember him taking me at like 17 years old down to the recruiting station. He and, he, and I sit down in the chair like this and he sits down now next to me and he goes, how are we going to make him an officer? What do we got to do? And the guy's like trying to get me to enlist. And my dad kept saying, he's not enlisting. How do we make him an officer? And finally, a guy leans back in his chair and is like, you got to take him down to the office, uh, officer corps thing downtown. My dad looks at him and goes, thank you, sir. And then <laughs> next thing you know, we go downtown and I'm filling out the application for the scholarship and the ROTC and all that other good stuff. But, you know, for us, it was like, okay, it's an opportunity. It's a free ride. But again, my father was a guide and kind of helped me in that direction. And so then it's just, I am a habitual guide seeker. If you I hear that. I hear that. I love it. You're also a family man. So Tell our listeners about your family and how that influences your relationships with your clients. So first of all, you know, I I raised three young ladies. And so I started off reading a book called Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters. And then I read another book called The Confidence Code. Have you ever heard of The Confidence Code? I have. I actually just read it recently because we had the author speak at one of our events. So So I read that when I was happy because you know and then I also read a book called Hood Feminism so like I'm very interested in women issues because I'm raising young women so it really does help me as a financial advisor to try to put myself in other people's shoes 
and so there's an, you know there's another book I read that'll put this in a little bit more perspective. My job is to help people so that they're not so financially stressed so that they can be better mothers and fathers to their children. So if I can take something off of their place, something that they don't have to fight about, something that will allow them to be a little bit more at peace, then we are impacting the community in a, in a great way. So having something in this world that I love more than my own breath, and me knowing that you have something in this world that you love more than your own breath impacts how I treat you as I'm a financial advisor advising you and trying to take care of your family and do the right things for your family, if that makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. It's very inspiring. Tell us your daughter's names and how old they are. So my oldest is McKenna and she is 12. My five-year-old is Michaela, and my baby after a vasectomy is McKinley, and she's three. So my dad, I grew up in a house with three daughters as well, and our names were not even remotely similar, and he still managed to call us all by the wrong names most of the time. Amy, Jody, Sarah, I don't know how you're going to do this with those three names, but maybe they have nicknames that make it easier for you as nope. you get older. No, nope. but I'm very big on names. So I work really hard when I meet people to learn their names and get it right. So I just work really hard to call the right daughter, Michaela, McKinley, McKenna. Like They're I, beautiful I, names. Yeah. Beautiful names. The mixed awesome. <laughs> I love it. You kind of led into this, but I also know that you're an avid reader. So besides the books you just told us about that helped you understand how to be a strong father to your daughters, what else have you read in 2020 and what did you learn from them? What would you recommend our listeners if they could only read three books this year? Because I think you probably read 300. You could recommend three books. What are they? I, I even have them written down here. So Misbehaving by Richard Thaler, The Tyranny of Merit by Michael Sand. And my favorite book, the most impactful book that I read is Scarcity, Why Having Too Little Means So Much. And I see you shaking your head. So I think you read the scarcity book. Or I did know. after you and I talked last time. Yes. Oh, really? You yes, did? Yes. Absolutely. And it is, I, I just, it just, it was, an, it's an awesome book. So Misbehaving is about behavior economics, which I love. And again, this is why I get, I love calling us humans. I've read uh, several books on just how our brains work by how we react. And, you know, I've come to the conclusion we're not as complicated as we like to think we are. And so Misbehaving kind of like talks about that in behavior economics and how we as humans are just, we behave in a certain way based, to, based on certain cues and how predictive that is. And then Tyranny of Merit was a good book as far as humbling yourself as you start to make more money in this world. It gives an, an example of like LeBron James. Today, LeBron James is a big deal, right? He does a lot, you know, he makes a lot of money. He makes more money than me and you 10 times over. But if LeBron James was in the 1600s, he would be, there's no thing called basketball. He might've been a bread maker or something along those lines. <laughs> like, like, so, a really big bread maker. Yeah, a yeah. really big bread maker. But the artists in those times were the superstars, right? Like, you know, we celebrated different people during this time. And years from now, we'll celebrate different people. And so 
part of this is we're lucky enough to live in this life in this time. So, and sometimes it's lucky enough where you grew up, lucky enough of who your parents were. And so tyranny of merit is like, we tried to create this system that like sorted it all out to the winners and the losers when there's a lot of other stuff that goes into this pie. You know, again, you know, what would have happened if my dad didn't take me to the recruiter station and go, let's make him an officer. And it was left to my own devices as an 18 year old, which we all know happens. I would have probably just mulled around doing whatever. So, you know, not being in the Navy and not being influenced and not, and so Tyranny of Merit kind of gets into all of that type of stuff. So it was a very interesting book. And then Scarcity, again, which was my favorite book of, you know, not of all time, but, you know, of the year was just really talking about, you know, when someone is stressed, we all have a certain amount of bandwidth. And if you're stressed about money or you're stressed about, you tend to stress about life, you tend to hyper-focus in on that stress. And it really is hard for you to be a forward thinker. And so some of the great minds I used to read about, like Einstein and a couple of others, one of the things that they used to do all the time was just go out for a walk and like give themselves space to think. But when you are living in poverty or when you are hungry, some kind of abuse, verbal abuse, physical abuse, things of that nature, you're having scarcity happen to you. You, you are lacking things. And so it makes it harder for you to focus in on certain issues or moving yourself forward. And, you know, they talked about testing these guys and making them hungry. And one of the things that they did was they would like, they didn't starve them, but they, you know, you know, withheld food. And what they started thinking about was opening a restaurant and like different types of foods. And like all they thought about was food. If they did flashcards, they would see the, the food thing way faster than anything else. Again, as a financial advisor, I think it's important for us to read that book in a sense because, and you know, important I think for you, Amy, to read it too, is the more you make it easier on your clients to be able to focus in on taking care of their family and, and removing stresses out of our, the better we will be. Yeah, great message. It, it really is a hard concept. Like it really kind of put it, you know, things on their head. Like, you know, if my, if my spouse made more money than me or something on those lines and they had the potential to make even more money, the more stuff I could possibly pull off of them or how, how can we make it so that you can hyper-focus in and get better at what you're doing so that you can soar? Or how can I pull stuff? You know, we do it with our children, right? Right. We, 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 we keep things off their plate. We shelter them so that they can focus in on school. And, the more, and we know that the more that they focus in on school, the better that they will do. Absolutely. That's why I love that book, because, again, I think it was a message to other financial planners, other financial advisors that we are impactful on people's daily lives if we do it right. So like one of the things I love to do is when the father's holding his brand new little girl and I go, all right, she's going to get married one day. Are you paying for the wedding? Yes or no? Let's put a hundred bucks into a UTMA so that when she gets married one day, you are not stressing about where the money's coming from. You're not breathing through a paper bag and you can go through the mind hell that every father goes through when he's walking his little girl down the aisle. 
where you like happy she's getting married but then you know you're gonna lose her and like the whole relationship is going to change but at least you're not stressing about money and you can be in the moment and so everything that we do everything that I feel that I do is so that clients can be in the moment when they're doing something if they're buying a house if they're sending their kids to college they we have the money I'm trying to get you to have the money so that you can be in the moment and if you can be in the moment, you become a better person, a better spouse, and a better influence on your children, therefore makes our community better. Love that you build those messages into your value proposition. You are definitely making a difference, which is why you and Cambridge are such a good fit. <laughs> Let's talk about the financial effect initiative. Tell our listeners what the financial effect initiative is. So we are trying to serve the underserved. And we're also still trying to get the message out there the financial effect is like the butterfly effect and that, hey, you know what, if, if you just get your budget right, like I know people hate talking about a budget, but if I could just get everyone to like stay within a budget and understand a budget, that is half the battle. And you will start to see how you, again, going back to the scarcity book, you create slack for yourself so that when things happen in your life, you're able to handle it a little bit better. And so we started a blog. And it's actually kind of worked, I, you know, it's actually worked in a different way. I've actually been getting more clients and you know, people like remembering to refer me. And that really wasn't even the intent. The intent really was just to put myself in the space and just remind people of, you know, budgeting, making sure that they, you know, try out my budgeting system, pay off their debts and just make smart choices with their money, or at least try to make smart choices with their money. And maybe even like pull some of the clients in and help them with investing and help them with those things, but not, not really trying to make a lot of money off of it. You know, I, I already enjoy working with uh, the perfect client to me are people who are just engaged, just got engaged and they're about to start a new family or, you know, I, I love working with those clients. So I don't have the, you have to have $300,000 work with me. I like working with the new clients coming in and, and helping them build assets because I really do feel like I saved their marriage. And so that's what the financial effect is about. Uh, kind of what I've been talking about is, hey, it's, it, yes, it's about money and you, we want to say money isn't everything, but it definitely is a tool that we use in every aspect of our life. And, you know, if you get your money right, then I think you'll be a better spouse. I think you'll be a better parent. I think you'll be better for the community. I think you would be a better coworker or CEO or whoever you are if you don't have to worry about money. And so that is what the financial effect is trying to get, go out into the world and deliver that message so that people can change at least that habit. The message our listeners hopefully took away from that, or at least one of them is, I think sometimes if you do the right thing, success comes after, right? And this feels like the right thing to you to work with people who are, let's just admit, there. many of them are the underserved. There's not a lot of successful financial advisors like yourself that enjoy or have built a model around working with them. And so you're doing the right thing. And as you just said, you're getting business from it. Different, And you feel good about it. I can't wait to start going like to college graduations of my clients. <laughs> like to me, that would be awesome. Like I had something to do with that. <laughs> and you did. That's the beauty of this career in my mind. And I think it's a part of the career that 
many in our world, whether that be client, some clients, but politicians, regulators, sometimes I think they miss that. They miss that heart piece that you bring to the table. So thank you for sharing. So one of my favorite moments in these podcasts is to shift just a little bit and let our listeners know that you're human. And this has been so much fun. You've already let us know that you're human, but what do you do outside of work? What are, what are your hobbies? So let's backtrack a little bit here. So I, I do want to tell everyone that I am a avid values-based financial planner, meaning I, I Bill Backrack influenced me a lot. So I, my, the way I have my calendar works is I see clients seven months out of the year and I get to do admin stuff five months out of the year. So during those times, that's when I've also started doing the, you know, podcasts and blogging and things of that nature and, and, and doing some hobbies. That's how I have been able to do work life balance, doing that and following that system. And I, and I do think that charging a fee again that's why I like being a fee planner is because it allows us to be able to step away and take a breather and look at your business and spend time with your family and come back a better financial planner. That being said, I am a huge wine drinker. I mean, I love wine. Wine is to me like I actually stayed up till midnight last night drinking a Cabernet Sauvignon, two different Cabernet Sauvignons within the same price point. I got introduced to wine when I first started as a financial advisor up here in Temecula, you know, someone took me to Temecula and I didn't realize I was, that, that wine is horrible, but at the time it tasted great. Like again, with life experiences and, and, and things of that nature, but I can't think of anything more like human beings than wine. Wine is complex. Depending on the year it was born, it's a completely different animal. Depending on the bottling, depending on the temperature, depending on the winemaker. Like, you don't get the same. It's not a beverage. You want a beverage, go down and get yourself a soda. Wine is a complex. And then depending on the price points, quality of the wine changes. So the way it's handled and taken care of really impacts how the flavors enter your mouth and how that tastes. And so... Yeah, I just think it's, you know, symbolic of life and d the different grapes and where they come from and the regions and things of that nature. All those things matter with the wine, just like it matters with us. And so it matters where you came from. It matters what year you were born or, you know, what generation you're from. It matters, you know, whether or not you grew up in Florida or California, the way you see life is completely different and wine is the same way. Amy, you have not lived until you come to our house and we greet you with the champagne so that it'll cleanse your palate. And then we have cheeses from 2008 and cheeses from 2000, whatever the case may be, to pair with the Cabernet Sauvignon uh, that is from the same vintage, but different years so that you could taste the differences between the two. And by the way, we have this board behind you that also impacts the wine. We're going to finish it off with a dessert wine that's supposed to go with it. You have not lived until I've done this for you, Amy. Well, get your state open and I'll be glad to come hang out at your house and experience that because it sounds awesome. <laughs> yes, because if you have not been to also a blind wine tasting event, what? I have I not. Oh, yes. One time we, I threw a little shindig 
at the university club. Okay, yes, I'm snobby, whatever. It's the university club. And I had everyone bring a $100 bottle of wine, Cabernet Sauvignon. But then I had the sommelier bag them up, decant them for an hour, and we had like little grading sheets. And the whole night we're tasting the wines to see which one we liked better. And then I had like a prize at the end for whoever brought the wine that was the best. Oh, come on. Sounds come on, like Amy. A, sounds like a blast. I'll be there at the next one for sure. I think everyone on the, listening to this podcast wants to understand more about how did you get yourself to a place where you only see clients seven months out of the year? How You didn't just wake up and get there on year one of your career probably, right? So we'll talk about that journey a little bit before we wrap up today. So, like I said, I, I, I got introduced to a guy named Bill Bacharach, who does this thing called, and I'm just doing free advertising for him, but he's very costly these days. But I got in on the ground floor. He influenced me so much. So as far as like our importance, client-centered, you know, we're here to take care of the clients. And so I meet with my clients three times a year. As a matter of fact, when we, when I have, I'll have a video conference with the clients and I pretty much am like meeting with them to actually scare them off. I'm like, Hey, this is my fee. This is what I do. I don't work weekends. I'm only looking for financial delegators. If you're not a financial delegator, don't be calling me talking about you want to buy Apple stock or whatever the case may be. I don't do that. I don't make house visits. These are my stipulations. If you're going to work with me. Everybody would like to be there. So you're, t- you're, you're singing a lot of songs, I think. Yes. So these are my stipulations. I don't work weekends because my wife and my daughters won't let me. Now, if it's an emergency, I will. But if I have to meet with you on a weekend, I got to put in a chit, which is a, a authoriz- get an authorization from my wife and three daughters. And look, it better be important. So we do that. So I set the expectations first. And so that was one of the things I was taught. You set the relationship first because nobody likes to <laughs> look at their calendar and be like, damn, I'm meeting with Amy Weber today. Oh. Nobody wants to do that. And I, I just don't have the energy. So, you know, we get to try to set expectations so that people know how to treat you as an advisor. And so, you know, one of the things that we do is during this time of year, which is my busiest time of year is tax season. So we help our clients prepare for taxes. And then we do a progress meeting too. So after we end progress meeting one, which is from February to April 15th, we help get taxes done. I scheduled the next appointment for all of my clients. And I meet with all my clients between June and July. And then that's PM2. And that's when we go over comprehensive safety review. We update their financial plans every single year. And then I schedule PM3 which is between October and November. So that means I take really December and January off. I only get like a short May 15th timeframe. And then I take August and September off. And we control the calendar. And, you know, there's some stragglers, obviously. But for the most part, when August hits, I might have one appointment here or there or whatever the case may be. But for the most part, I've scheduled it so that we give our clients great service. We have a specific agenda of what we're going to talk about. We go through that agenda. And I always tell people, look, I'm I'm sure you love talking to me and I'm sure you love hanging out with me. But if you had to come up with a top 20 people, I may break the top 20, like barely. So I know you don't really want to spend that much time with me. So every appointment is an hour 
unless you just want to like talk to me about the Lakers or wine or something along those lines. And then we go through the agenda and then I don't waste their time because I know they're busy. They have families and they got things that they need to get to. And I bid them adieu. And so that's how I work, you know, seven months out of the year and then five months pretty much off. And then what we do is we call those trimester cleanups. So this is also great for the staff that works for you. So they're not like constantly going, 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 going. They get to, and I, I train them to do this. If it's something that the client is not going to see, you can push the task off until after April 15th. So then they get to wake up in the morning and they don't have to prep for anyone's appointment. There's no like demand of doing this. I'm not like putting out a whole bunch of tasks and they get to just, File things away, double check this, do this, prepare for the next, like they'll, they actually prepare all my folders, all my client appointments ahead of time. They get two months of just doing all that. That way they're not scrambling when I'm actually meeting their clients. So again, I'm providing them a place where they have enough room to do the best that they can. And on top of that, that's a place where they can take their vacations, they can take their time off, they can go do whatever they need to do because I'm not as busy. It just makes for a very happy environment. Yeah, plan ahead and discipline, right? Manage expectations of your clients, of your staff, of yourself, plan ahead and stick to discipline. Maybe there's a reason right there where you, why you were successful in the military as well. Discipline. Maybe. Well, you know, I don't know if I was successful in the military, but they certainly did teach me enough to where I was like, I'll take, I'll take this with me. Thank you very much. Thank you for teaching me this. Don't like it here though. You are <laughs> looking deep into everything. And I'm sure that has a lot to do with making you successful. Well, you know what? Uh, part of our job is to keep our clients. I always tell my clients, I, my job is to turn you into bobbleheads. We're going to take care of everything for you. And I'm just going to tell you what we're doing. And then you're going to sign. <laughs> you just said you'd like to work with delegators. So I'm sure. Yes. And, and but you But you have to earn their trust and you have to keep the trust my favorite thing to say, when you make a mistake, you have to tell the truth directly and succinctly. You have to tell the truth directly and succinctly. I messed up. I did this. This is what we're going to do to fix it. Love it. And then you build the trust. And then you build the trust. So, you know, I don't make very many mistakes, but when we do, we just tell the truth directly and succinctly, you know, and then, well, I mean, obviously I make mistakes. I'm married. I make plenty of mistakes. Animal not with dog. your clients, but, but not, not with, with your clients. clients. Like not like logistical mistakes. Understood. <laughs> I might say the wrong thing out of my mouth. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> I am human. So. <laughs> well, thank you for joining me today. It has been a blast. And you are, as I think I started out with this podcast saying, we, need, we want inspiring stories. You've provided us with a lot of them today. So you are hashtag Cambridge Stronger. And thanks for being here. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in to Cambridge Stronger. I invite you to listen to my podcast episodes where I have candid conversations with genuine inspirational financial professionals and leaders within this fiercely independent financial services industry. The best of the best, the strongest of the strongest. You can listen to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the Podbean app. If you like what you've heard, please give us a review and head on over to our blog for more content at cambridgestronger.com. 
That's cambridgestronger.com. We are Cambridge Stronger.